Hello, everyone. Welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi. This is Rico, your host. Today is uh, January the 31st, 2010. It's a Sunday morning here in Rockford, Illinois, and I am doing the first sort of official podcast from my uh, new location because of my new job and all that uh, here in uh, Rockford in this uh, rental house, which I'll tell you about here shortly on the show. But first thing is first, uh, today's podcast will mainly primarily, mainly primarily, well, it's the same thing, isn't it? (laughs) We'll uh, be covering the uh, Next Generation excellent episode from Season 3, The Most Toys, which is a data episode and just has some really great stuff in it and one I've been wanting to cover for quite a long time. That's going to be the main topic for today's podcast with some clips and and commentary from me on that episode. I'll talk a little bit about sci-fi and Star Trek, of course, and some updates on my situation with the job and you know, living here in another state away from home and and all of that and I have some interesting things to say about all that. So, Anyway, sit back, relax, and get ready for the show. again, welcome to the podcast, everyone. This uh, is the first time in this new setup. I'm actually recording on my pretty much my regular equipment that I've moved here to this house I'm renting now in Rockford, Illinois, for this new job with uh, the Testers Corporation. It, uh, it's been a very hectic week because of all of that. I hope the sound quality is, is good or pretty close to what you're normally uh, used to from Treks and Sci-Fi and from me. It is the usual mic that I would normally record with, and my new usual. Yeah. <laughs> ah, ah, it's a little hard to get going here today for some reason. But it is the uh, most of the normal equipment. You may detect a slight difference. I'm in a different kind of room. I'm in a uh, uh, one of the extra bedrooms, small bedroom here in this uh, small two bedroom ranch house that I'm renting that I set my computer up in. But I think the acoustics are okay. And I, I feel a little nasally today, though, for some reason. It, you know, couldn't be just because it's been freaking cold and freaking fracking cold outside the last few days. We've had highs not even of 10 Fahrenheit and wind chills below zero Fahrenheit. So it's it's been nasty. We haven't had much snow since I've been here, although I hear we're supposed to get some maybe in the next couple of days, a few inches. It's, uh, it's not too bad, though. I mean, the, the one thing about winter's... If you're not used to the Midwest and winters here, is that uh, when you get really cold like this, it actually is usually clear out. So we've had some sunny days the last few days, and I'm a big fan of the sun. It's nice to see the sun, even if it is uh, way too cold outside. But uh, so I've gotten myself established in this in this house I'm renting, and what you find out, you know, I brought some basic things with me from home. You know, my clothes, my computer, a few other little odds and ends, of course. But when you're, and there's a few bits of furnishings in this house. Uh, there's a couch, a couple of chairs, a couple of little card tables. Uh, I've been sleeping on this air mattress, which uh, I am working on getting a regular mattress to sleep on, hopefully soon. But it's it's these little things that you don't think about that once you're living in a new place, 
that you really need? Well, for one thing, I, I needed all kinds of cookware. I have nothing to cook with. They do have a stove here, a refrigerator, and everything like that. But I, so I went out yesterday, and it was just cheaper to buy like a set of pots and pans than than buy them individually. And uh, it really wasn't that expensive to buy uh, buy a set of I don't know five or seven pieces, something like that, with some. Uh, it just you know pots and pans lids and i'm actually going to make some chili later today for for dinner and, and it'll probably be plenty of extra for meals for the rest of you know for lunch and for meals for this week so you know that's a typical kind of nice thing to make for uh for somebody by themselves because you know you can throw the rest in the fridge and warm up some when you need it and want it so and i, I i'm a big chili guy and fan so but, you know, I had to pick up a bunch of stuff besides the cookware, you know, just a couple little night lights. The house is really dark at night. Uh, I got a couple little night lights that come on so I can stumble my way into the bathroom at night and, and just stuff like that. Uh, but I'm pretty well at this point. I, I've been definitely doing my part this last week, keeping the economy moving on my own. I've spent quite a bit to kind of stock up the uh, the food and the refrigerator and, and all of that. And uh, but I think I've got everything, and it's really nice to be here in a way because it's a lot better than a hotel, uh, not as expensive, and it's pretty close to the workplace. It's about four or five miles from work, so that's nice and, and pretty handy. So it's it's good. It's all going well. The job has been still super busy. I, I've been very uh, busy there and, and, and pretty tired at the end of each day. But I, you know, it's nice to be working again, and uh, I think uh, things are going okay. So we'll see how this continues to go. I don't want to take up, you know, the whole podcast about my life here in uh, in Illinois. Oh, I do have to say though, I met uh, one of the forum members, Rick Pete, yesterday for lunch. Rick, hello. Uh, I'm sure you're listening. <laughs> but uh, we had a good time. We met at a Buffalo Wild Wings, talked for a while, and uh, it was great to meet someone that I only know through doing the podcast and on the Trex and Sci-Fi forum. So if there's anyone else out there in the, you know, Chicago vicinity and area that uh, Rick and I would like to, you know, maybe get together sometime uh, again, go see a movie or grab some uh, dinner or lunch again, do something like that, or go down in Chicago and look around, maybe when the weather gets just a little bit warmer so we can move around without freezing. And uh, But anyone in this area, please uh, send an email over to treksf at gmail.com and maybe we can have another you know, Trek SF or Treks in Sci-Fi Meetup. Coming soon to ContinuingMission.com, the season finale of Star Trek, The Continuing Mission. I've just received communication from Starfleet Command. The Federation president is going to make an address in a few hours. If I'm going to lead this invasion fleet, I want someone with personal experience fighting the Romulans with me. Set a course for Hikes Point, Warp 6. Punch it. Haven't been very friendly since you beamed down. Seven minutes to neutral zone border. The Romulans have to know we're coming. What kind of game are they playing? Stop right there. Make sure we have good phaser locks on our primary targets. What are you doing to me? Now I suggest you make your preparations for war. I uh, enjoyed a lot doing the Fellowship of the Ring podcast last week. I hope people enjoyed that. I I felt like I kind of maybe rushed through it pretty quickly with, 
the whole you know getting it done and getting up uh, packed up for for moving over here to the Chicago you know Rockford vicinity. But anyway, uh, I just uh, enjoyed that uh, show, and I, I do have to say though, in all my rush and, and confusion of the last few weeks, I forgot to play a clip from uh, someone that sent it, uh, in some comments about Fellowship of the Ring. His name is Jeff, and I think he's a new member on the forums. Ob One Covere is that kind of his name? Anyway, here's his comments that he had sent in for the Fellowship of the Ring podcast that I forgot about for last week's show. Sorry about that, uh, Jeff. But I'm playing them now, so uh, listen to this, and I'll be right back. Hey, Rico. This is Jeff, otherwise known as Obi-Wan Kavari on the forums. And I just wanted to chime in with my memories of The Fellowship of the Ring. I saw this film on opening day back in 2001. And here in Utah, it was um, a really big storm. And I remember being so excited to go see the film, probably more excited than the Star Wars movies. Maybe not the first one, The Phantom Menace, just because of the whole waiting and experience of that. But, um, you know, this movie I've been waiting to see for years. I remember reading the books as a teenager and just being so excited to see this. And, um, wow, what an amazing movie. Um, the first time I saw it was in the mall, and it got to the part when they were in Moria, right before you see the Balrog. You can see the light in the hallway in the, the, the dwarf city, and uh, then the power was cut. And we thought it was just a, the, the screen itself, but it was actually like city blocks. <laughs> it was a huge blackout. So, uh, you know, we got a refund that day, and I think we saw it the next day or maybe the day after that. But um, it was soon after, and then we got to see the entire film. But I never get tired of watching this film or the other two in the trilogy. And it's just probably the best book adaptation to film that I've ever seen. Just completely amazing. Um, And then I got the soundtrack, and I remember listening to that for weeks on end and just I still listen to it it's just one of the best ever and um, yeah so just wanted to share that with you and thanks for reviewing it on your uh, your podcast I listen to it every week I've been listening to it since uh, 2006 so anyway I uh, look forward to your review and what others have to say about it and thanks See you later. Well, thank you very much, Jeff, for your comments. Uh, sorry you, uh, you know, had that power failure right in the middle of seeing it for the first time, but it sounds like you, it worked out in the end. And, yeah, it's it's a fantastic movie, Fellowship of the Ring, like I said last week, my favorite of the trilogy. You know, I enjoyed the other movies as well, but that first one just blew me away too, and uh, I, I enjoyed it greatly. So thanks for your comments, and, again, sorry for not including them last week. I usually am better about that, but, you know, sometimes things slip through the cracks. So uh, I will do better. Uh, please send in another comment sometime. And uh, and also, this is a reminder to everyone, I am trying to keep the uh, podcast schedule updated on the main site. Also, you can read it uh, and find it on the forums as well. But if you'd like to send in a comment, please do so, even if you send them in in advance. Uh, that's fine, too. Usually I keep pretty good track of those and play them when the uh, – podcast comes up that I'm talking about uh, your particular topic. So 
the more comments, the better. We do have a few to play for today's uh, show about the TNG episode, The Most Toys, that I'll get to later on in the podcast. Next up, I, I want to play, uh, before I talk a little bit about Trek and sci-fi, I, uh, Vartok sent in some uh, segments here this week about a review of a movie that he saw. It's actually, uh, I think, Starship Troopers 3, which I, I watched not that long ago. Uh, one of the interesting things about that movie is Jolene Blaylock, uh, who played T'Pol on Enterprise, is in that. And uh, it really, I didn't think it was that bad of a movie. And uh, But here is Vartok and his... Uh, review and commentary about Starship Troopers a 3. Courage, duty, honor. We call upon our troopers in this our darkest hour. Our way of life is what we're fighting for. The flag that flies above us inspires us each day to give our very best in every way. Why, citizens, we fight for what is right. A noble sacrifice. When duty calls, you pay the price. For the Federation, I will give my life. all Hello, everyone. This is Vartok again with another movie and sci-fi review, my fourth. For today's segment, I'm going to talk about Starship Troopers 3, Marauder the third installment of the Starship Troopers trilogy, which went direct to DVD in July 2008. The music you are hearing is the catchy recruiting song named A Good Day to Die, sung by the top military officer in Marauder named Sky Marshal Omar Anoki, the pop star officer who uses music videos with choreographed military personnel dancing in the background to encourage citizens to join the mobile infantry. The Starship Troopers trilogy started out with the movie of the same name in 1997, directed by Paul Verhoeven. Set on a future Earth, football athlete Johnny Rico is a young student dating a girl named Carmen. When Carmen decides to join the military in order to become a class citizen, where citizenship is only achieved through serving your country, Johnny joins as well. An asteroid that originated from the orbit of planet Klendathu wipes out Buenos Aires, killing his family and fueling revenge. Johnny and his fellow troopers set out to destroy the planet's bug inhabitants, which are numerous, deadly, and very large. Warriors. Kamikaze Bombardiers. Every day, new bugs show up on the battlefield. So many that some wonder, are we losing this war? Starship Troopers is based on the military science fiction novel by none other than the noted sci-fi author Robert Heinlein. It was first published as a serial in the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, in 1959 as Starship Soldier and published a month later in hardcover. Heinlein's story is about a young soldier named Juan or Johnny Rico and his exploits in the mobile infantry 
a futuristic military unit equipped with powered armor, which unfortunately we don't get to see until all too briefly in Marauder, the third film. Through Rico's eyes, Heinlein examines moral and philosophical aspects of suffrage, civic virtue, the necessities of war and capital punishment, and the nature of juvenile delinquency. To Heinlein's surprise, Starship Troopers won the Hugo Award for Best Novel in 1960. Starship Troopers 2, Hero of the Federation, was also a direct-to-DVD film that debuted in 2004, seven years after the first one. We return to the battlefield as the Federation's best mobile infantry units are slowly being overpowered by the bugs. These troops are light years from the nearest reinforcements and are trapped on a remote outpost. Now, if you were a fan of the original Starship Troopers movie, you more than likely disliked the second one, which was universally panned for its lack of imagination, poor special effects, especially for a lack of characters from the first installment. In the ongoing war against arachnids, the mobile infantry is always looking for a few good recruits. Where's your head, soldier? Defending the front lines takes mental fortitude. It takes an appetite for danger, duty, and discipline and the will to fight for humanity no matter what the cost. Would you like to know more? Starship Troopers 3, Marauders, shot in South Africa with a $20 million budget, thankfully returned actor Casper Van Diem as Trooper Johnny Rico, who is now a colonel in the mobile forces. It is 11 years into the second bug war, and Rico is at the front line on planet Rokusan. The singing and charismatic Sky Marshal Omar Anoki arrives in a surprise inspection with his assistant, General Dix Hauser, in a starship that's piloted by his fiancée, Captain Lola Beck. Now, Captain Lola Beck is played by 34-year-old Jolene Blaylock, who is best perhaps known for her role as T'Pol in the Star Trek Enterprise TV series, and perhaps one of the reasons Vartok picked up this DVD when he saw it in the store. It was good to see Jolene Black. While Sky Marshal Anoki inspects the military facility, the friends Dix, Lola, and Rico go to a bar to celebrate the reunion. After the expected bar fight breaks out, General Dix arrests Rico for insubordination. Meanwhile, there is a shutdown in the defense fences, and the bugs break into the facility with lots of explosions, bullets, blood spraying, and heads flying. After escaping skywards, the Sky Marshal, Captain Beck, and others are shipwrecked on a bug planet called OM-1, where the plot moves towards a big showdown with a really big brain bug, and naturally Rico will have to come to the rescue with his marauders. Yep, this is definitely a testosterone-driven experience from screenwriter and first-time director Edward Neumauer, who incidentally also scripted and helped produce the first two movies. I am not going to give away any more of the plot, since any serious sci-fi fan should try to see this movie on DVD or Netflix. I would rate this B-movie a 7-plus on my sci-fi movie scale. And now, for the poser for later in this podcast. Despite being an obvious action movie with tons of military overtones, what might seem to be out of place in this movie? Stay tuned, and I'll be back with the answer later in this podcast. 
Thanks, Vartok, for your always very detailed and very informative uh, segment and review of that movie. Uh, yeah, like I said, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, for what it was, not nearly the you know the you know the big time movie spectacles of, of sci-fi and fantasy that we see sometimes, but definitely a pleasant rental from Netflix. I found it to be so, and uh, it uh, is a good movie for you know. Uh, a week weekend or a weekday, even night, to to just sit down and, and uh, kind of relax. To <laughs> I guess anyway. Uh, so uh, Vartok will be back later in the podcast with his answer to his poser for that uh, Starship Troopers three segment. Hello, folks. This is Rico. And before we get started on the podcast today, I just want to talk to you real briefly about GoDaddy.com. I've bought a lot of uh, web domain names uh, over the years, and GoDaddy has some great offers, really excellent hosting packages, and and just all-around great service. I've used them for quite a long time. And they've also supplied some codes for listeners to Treks and Sci-Fi. So if you want to get a domain name or get some web hosting going, go check them out. And the codes you can use are US Trek 1, US Trek 2, U.S. Trek 3 and U.S. Trek 20. Just try the right code or all the codes to see which gives you the best discount. So check out GoDaddy.com and get on the web. Okay, as far as uh, Star Trek uh, topics and news to discuss, uh, the, the biggest thing probably going on in the Star Trek world right now is the Star Trek online game has begun with a beta. I think I talked about this a little bit last week and the uh, pre-start sort of pre-start for people that pre-ordered the game, uh, I have to mention here that I pre-ordered the game via GameStop, and I may have mentioned this even before on the podcast. I've been having trouble. I wanted to switch my pre-order to a location here in Illinois, and they wouldn't let me do it, wouldn't let me cancel my pre-order in Michigan and change it to this place. So I'm having my wife Lynn pick up the game or try to pick up the game this Tuesday when it comes out on February the 2nd, uh, and I don't know, I'm annoyed at GameStop quite a bit. I've never really liked their stores that much. Some are better than others. They're all kind of independently run. Some places, depending on the guys in in the store, are a little bit better than others. Some seem to have some really good employees, and some have some really poor ones. And when I did this online uh, GameStop pre-order, they were very unhelpful uh, and and not uh, at all willing to realize that people actually move between the time they pre-order something and and then pick it up. You know, sometimes it's six months to a year they, they want people to pre-order stuff. And, and the idea that you don't have an easy way to go into your account and change a location or, or a pre-order information in some fashion is, to me, ridiculous, especially with computer systems and, and everything being, you know, online and, and, and all. It's just there's no reason it should be like that. For example... I, I am a big Netflix user, and I, I went in last weekend and switched my address, so my Netflix are coming to this new location, and it took me about, oh, maybe not even five minutes to do that. I mean, come on, GameStop. What's the deal? What's the deal? I just don't understand why this is so difficult or impossible. I, I just don't under, I don't get it at all. And aren't you trying to keep your customers happy? There's actually two GameStops uh, that I drive by here Practically, you know, every couple of days, they're they're really, uh, it's just crazy to me that they couldn't do that and help me out. But hopefully my wife will be able to pick it up and I can at least get the activation code 
from inside the box and, and be playing the game here in a few days. I still haven't, even though I downloaded it actually yesterday, I still haven't had a chance to dive in and, and give it a try yet. So I've been hearing some kind of mixed things. I mean, there's nothing really out there yet. I know it's been in beta, but uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of people that, uh, or a lot of things going on with the game and patching, like always happens with these MMOs when they first come out for the first few weeks. But we'll see how this all pans out and how Star Trek Online does. I hope it does well. I hope they have a good launch, and I hope I hope it's a good game to play and fun. I'm a little bit concerned about some things I'm hearing about the two factions, you know, the Klingons being the big baddie and bad guys in this and the Federation at war with them, and kind of like, you know, you have the uh, sort of the bad guys, the orcs and the other races uh, in the, the horde on uh, in WoW in the World of Warcraft, and you have the Alliance side and have them pretty balanced, have a lot of content for both sides. I'm hearing that maybe the the uh, bad guys, the Klingon side, and that side of the faction doesn't have as much PvE or um, where you're basically going out and doing missions and not necessarily fighting other players, you know, PvP. I'm not really a big PvP fan in these kinds of games, which is player versus player for those that aren't gamers listening to the show. I'd more much rather go out and do, you know, explore strange new worlds and find new civilizations and and do content that way than have big space battles and fight other players. You know, I'm just not into that as much, I guess. So we'll see how this all works out. And hopefully next week on the podcast, I'll have more to report and I'll have a chance to play the game by then. I'm slowly getting caught up on on TV and sci-fi. I uh, watched the final episode of Dollhouse via Hulu. Thank you, Hulu. And uh, because I missed it on Friday uh, when it was airing here, I do have a basic cable in the house now here. But I I don't know, did they play it instead of at 9? Was it on at 8, which would have made it 7 central time? I always thought uh, Dollhouse was on at uh, at 9 o'clock, but maybe they moved it to 8 for that night. I don't know. I lost track of, you know, they, they mix, you know, when they change stuff like that, it's just not good, especially when I, I, I'm i not in a, in a location that I can, you know, whatever. I got to figure out the whole Central Eastern time thing. Even when I have that figured out, I, I keep missing shows. So I'm glad that Hulu's around to, to help me catch up, catch up and, and keep, keep, uh, keep up on these things. Although I don't like how they delay some shows. You know, some shows you find like Heroes will be on there the very next day. Dollhouse was on the very next day. Uh, But things like House, which I also enjoy, they have like a a week or more delay before they put it up on there. And I know it has to do with the deals they have with those different uh, TV series. But I I think they should at least be less than a week, maybe three or four days, because if you're trying, if you miss an episode and then you maybe don't want to watch the next week's episode, before that one airs, it should be under a week. It should be never more than a week so that if you've missed an episode, you can watch it before the next one airs on regular TV or you're always going to be kind of behind. So that's just my little uh, diatribe on on Hulu and, and series content. So uh, what else? Uh, I watched Smallville. They've got that big Legion, uh, you know, the Justice uh, Society episode coming up. I think it's next uh, Friday night. That'll be the February, what is that, the 5th? Uh, It's a two-hour Smallville special, so watch that if you're a fan of that show or just DC superhero. Should be good. Hawkman, Michael Shanks is going to be on that show playing Hawkman. Some other guest stars and superheroes they're going to show us that they haven't that we haven't seen before. Uh, So that should be good. I enjoy that. Uh, And trying to get caught up on Fringe, I'm a couple episodes behind on that right now as well. So. 
that's uh, that's about it. I think I need to get into now talking about uh, the most toys. Uh, this uh, episode from TNG that we're going to be covering uh, this week on uh, The Next Generation. So I'm going to take a short break here. I'll be back in a moment, and we'll start covering that episode of TNG. Hi, this is Rick Moyer, and I've got a brand new CD out to watch the stars with. It's called Stargazer. Take a listen to some of the songs. Three, two, one, zero. Launch commit. Liftoff. We have liftoff with Apollo 14. Three minutes past the hour. this 13-track CD or download it at takehimwithyou.com slash stargazer. Stargazer, a collection of songs to watch the stars with. Get your copy today. Okay, let's begin our discussion of The Most Toys, this third season uh, episode of The Next Generation. This is a very data-centric episode. The other actors pretty much are in it, but it's it's a Brent Spiner data show along with a, a, a really good guest star, a guest villain, who I'll be talking about quite a bit during this discussion, uh, actor named Saul Rubinek, Rubinek. He's also now on, he plays Artie on Warehouse 13. He is the bad guy, uh, Fajo, they call him in this episode, and... Kivas, I think is his first name, Kivas Fajo. He's this uh, collector of rare things. And in this episode, the rare thing that he decides to collect is uh, Lieutenant Commander Data uh, of the Enterprise. And he sort of fakes his uh, fakes Data dying in the shuttle accident and then adds Data unwillingly, of course, to his collection of rare artifacts and things from around the galaxy that he's collected it's really an interesting episode because of Data's, you know, lack of emotions to a degree, but also his character, and you get to learn some things about his programming in a way. And it just it's a nice interplay between the two of them. There are a lot of good Trek episodes that involve a, a, a sort of a conflict or an interplay between two main characters, you know, the Kirk and Khan episodes. And in this case, we have Data and Fajo kind of, dueling in a way mostly verbally uh, about uh, you know data being in captivity and then you know Fajo his trying to coerce data into accepting his, his situation and his fate so let's get going into some clips uh this uh it's uh I think the the story is written by Sherry Goodhart's is her name uh, somebody I'm not familiar with. I'm not sure if this is the only Trek uh, entry for her that she had written and her story was used for. So, But anyway, here's a, a clip from the early part of The Most Toys. Captain's log, Stardate 43872.2. In order to neutralize a sudden contamination of the water supply at the Federation colony on Beta Agni 2, we are procuring 108 kilos of hytritium from the Zabalian trader Kivas Fajo. Because pure hytritium is too unstable for our transporters, Lieutenant Commander Data has been shuttling the material to the Enterprise. Data to Enterprise. Go ahead, Mr. Data. This will be the last trip, sir. 
The remaining cases of hytridium are now being loaded. Acknowledged. Mr. Wolf, advise Beta Agni 2 that our departure is imminent. Aye, Captain. At warp 6, we should be there at just over 16 hours. Loading is complete. I am now proceeding with departure. Enterprise Shuttle Bay 2, prepare for docking. Level 1 precautions for incoming material remain in effect. If you'll just acknowledge this last load, Commander. Twenty-six point eight kilos tripolymer composites. Eleven point eight kilos molybdenum cobalt alloy. One point three kilos bioplast sheeting. Level twelve containment field reads nominal. Now leaving the Jovis. I'll be right. Containment field stable. Gravitational fluctuations within acceptable parameters. Flight pattern. So that kind of sets up the whole premise here. You know, Data's been transporting this rare substance that they need to uh, to help this planet out. The Enterprise needs this material, and it's it's rare, it's unstable. So they there's this fake uh, faked accident for the shuttle exploding, and they think uh, Data is lost to them. Of course, that's not the case. They fake it, and he is now under or captured by Fajo. I like you know the fact that they just sort of jump right into it here, and they they don't really give you a lot of explanation. Of course, it's the teaser. And they're trying to suck you into the episode. And here the Enterprise thinks that Data's been lost. And, you know, some of what we get in the rest of this episode is how they deal with that, especially Jordy, who is the, probably the closest friend that Data has, and how he's frustrated that he doesn't understand why this accident happened and he can't quite figure it out and it doesn't really add up to him. And he really pursues it. And it's one of the biggest things that clues them into realizing later on that data did not to get destroyed and that there is something going on here that's a little bit fishy so uh you know it's 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 good to see that and and how these characters and and the actors deal with that situation and brent spiner i just have to say here early uh in our discussion that he does a fantastic job you know i think he's he's to me kind of one of the unsung although i think he got some pretty good credit for what he did for data's character over uh you know the run of tng and in the movies you know he had the obvious sort of spockish character sort of couldn't show really emotion but he really does in a way if you watch his expressions in this episode and it is up on the forum in the uh, streaming player there right now but it you know watch his eyes and his his facial expressions and even his body language a little bit and you get a lot here of his, you know, how he's trying to fight Fajo in his captivity, but he, he's also trying to show that he's not really emotional, but he opposes what is being done to him. Uh, yes. uh, it took great effort, effort, to bring you here. I was sure it'd be worth it. I was right. I've been delivered here against my wishes. I would like to know the reason. Uh, certainly. 
you have been brought here for my enjoyment and my appreciation. Am I to infer that you intend to keep me captive? Captive, captive. Oh, it's such an inappropriate description. My dear Android, may I call you Data? It is my name. Data, you will be catered to, fond over, cared for, as you never have been before. Your every wish will be fulfilled. I wish to leave. Almost every wish. <laughs> this is unacceptable, sir. I have no desire to remain here. And even if I did, my Starfleet duties would not allow it. It's so single-minded, isn't it? Very persistent. But it's very polite, which is a very nice touch. You know, now Data's learning, he, you know, he's captive and he's he's trying to talk, you know, and find out why this guy would do this kind of thing. And it just doesn't make sense to him. It's it's very understandable because Data's just, you know, he's sort of a childlike uh, character in a way. And the idea that somebody would do this is is very difficult for him to grasp. And uh, he slowly learns and understands and discovers that certain people in the galaxy are not really the best of people and, and have different motives and, and motivations and different ideas of things than, than he does or even other people that he knows in the Federation and Starfleet and everything. But uh, it, it's difficult at first for him to kind of grasp. He doesn't quite get it. And uh, I, I, I like, uh, and, and the guest, excuse me, the guest uh, here, Saul, uh, who is uh, does a great job. And one of the interesting things I found out about his character, about uh, the Fajo character, was that Kivas Fajo was actually originally being played by a British actor, David Rappaport, uh, was first cast. They actually started filming, but uh, he unfortunately committed suicide during the initial filming, and they later had to reshoot when they recast the role for Saul uh, Rubinick to take over Fajo's role, which I never realized that, that that happened. That was a very strange thing to find out about this episode when I was looking up some things and trying to bring everyone some facts about the episode, kind of a sad fact. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to recall that that actor. I know I know that name. I'm trying to recall the kind of things he's uh, he's worked on, but maybe some of our UK listeners will know him better. But uh, that's unfortunate. And uh, But I think that Saul did a great job with the character of Fajo. Kivas wishes you to wear this set of clothes and to sit in your chair. I have no reason to accede to Mr. Fajo's wishes. He will give you reasons if you force him to. Mr. Fajo is deluding himself if he believes he can keep me here. The Enterprise is certain to find me. They're not even looking for you. They think you're destroyed. Your shuttle blew up. A high tritium explosion. They will scan the debris and discover I was not aboard. They'll find exactly what they thought they'd find. Traces of your component elements. We put them aboard the shuttle in just the right proportions. Clearly, Mr. Fajo has no moral difficulty with my imprisonment here. Mr. Fajo has no moral difficulties at all. Do you? Clever, android. Is it part of your program to seek out vulnerabilities in your enemies? Yes. Are you my enemy? I obey Fajo. And so does everyone on this ship. Why? You are a curious thing, aren't you? Do you object to the question? 
Kivas finds ways to get what he wants from his people. His rewards for loyalty are lavish. His punishments for disloyalty are equally... lavish. And now we get to, uh, you know, this part where, you know, there's this idea that Fajo's trying to, to get Data to wear this funky little outfit. I have to say that one of the things is, you know, even though, like, the original Star Trek sort of looks a little dated sometimes when you look at those episodes, especially when they go down to some planets and the old, the, you know, the styrofoam rock uh, situation and some of the alien costumes and things like that. Although I still, you know, love that series and uh, think it's just got some great stories and all. But this episode with some of these outfits and the looks and things just looks a little funky to me. <laughs> It, Data's little purple outfit that they, uh, these little purple PJs that, uh, you know, they want, or Fajo wants him to wear is, is, is part of that to me a little bit. And uh, it, it's just kind of, it just looks a little goofy, I think, on him. But I can understand, you know, he's, he's, he's a prisoner and Fajo's trying to exert his, his influence and his will over him. And Data's not really having anything to do with it. And of course, it, you know, he, he sort of, doesn't give him much of a choice it's like uh well you could uh you know you could be naked or you could you know wear this this funky little set of purple pjs that i have for you and then there's this whole idea of this chair that he wants data to sit in he's got this you know room with his collection and i'm a collector obviously and i've got my little man cave in my basement back uh in michigan with all my little goodies which boy i miss right now (laughs) Uh, I got to bring a few back next trip home, uh, but uh, I do have a couple of little shelf units here in, in this house that I could put a couple things on. But, but anyway, so I can understand the collector thing. Of course, collecting uh, you know a sentient android is a bit far. Uh, and Fajo though has this little chair that he wants Data to sit in in his little display and his little collection that he's got set up. And, and Data, of course, it does not want to cooperate with any of this. His he wants to escape. He wants to get back to the Enterprise, and he's he's that's his you know his single-minded goal in mind, and he's trying to not go along with this guy until he doesn't give him until Fajo doesn't give Data very much choice in the matter, and and it's a classic you know many different TV series over the years have done classic shows of, of showing prisoners and how they deal with that situation. I I was a big fan of that TV show Prison Break. Uh, and, uh, even though it kind of, kind of faded at the end a little bit, I didn't really care for the last season or so, but, uh, but anyway, this, this is a very common thing. And Trek has done this over the, uh, you know, various series had different characters end up in some kind of a jail or a prison and have to deal with that situation and, and how, how they manage, you know, and maintain their sort of dignity under those kind of circumstances. And I, and I think data does a good job. Brent Spiner, again, wonderful in this episode and and really strong performance by him about uh, you know what he's having to go through with Fajo there trying to make him his puppet basically and and do everything that he wants him to do I've been designed with a fundamental respect for life in all its forms and a strong inhibition against causing harm to living beings what a marvelous contradiction a military pacifist. Tell me, whose dreadful idea was it to enlist you in Starfleet to begin with? My skills seemed appropriate to the... Data, data, data. Big mistake. Grievous error. You belong in Starfleet about as much as I belong in a verbal contract. (laughs) 
Tell me, Data, have you killed yet? No. But I am programmed with the ability to use deadly force in the cause of defense. Shame on you. Shame on you. How neatly you rationalize your capabilities. How can you just casually accept your role in murder? I would not participate in a murder. Perhaps you misunderstand. Can't you see how much better it would be for you right here? The intellectual rewards alone, our personal exploration of the galaxy. I am at war with no one. I'm your liberator. You are a fine debater, sir. It is a pity you have used your verbal skills for mere hucksterism and the advancement of your own greed. Perhaps. Yeah, I like this uh, last clip quite a bit. You know, this debate between uh, Fajo and Data about what Data is programmed with and what he's capable of, that he respects all life and everything like that. And there's a, that's a key point in this episode, really, because Data tries very hard to, to respect life and, and he doesn't want to or hasn't killed anyone, you know, in his service with Starfleet. And, you know, he always finds ways around that just to incapacitate somebody or stop them or, or do whatever. But he, he will not do that except to defend. He, he is programmed to defend himself and to defend others. And ultimately, and I'll talk about this more towards the end of the episode as, as we go through it. But ultimately, that comes into play pretty big time in this episode. And it shows, I think they did it perfectly. I really agree with, with the way this episode plays out. That data is put into a position at the near the end where he doesn't have much of a choice to do what he tries to do, and I, again we'll talk about that more when we get there. But this sort of last clip here is sort of a a preamble and a preface to what uh, goes on later on. And you know, Fajo just thinks he has data all figured out. He's he thinks data, you know, he, you're you're a machine. You're you're programmed. You know, one and one is two for everything for you that you do is very logical. You don't have emotions. I can completely predict and understand what you're going to do. But Fajo is is a little naive about that, and he doesn't quite get, you know, what Data's programming will conclude when he's put into a certain position in a certain situation. Data will then play like a chess game and look 20 moves ahead and realize that in order to do and stop certain things from happening, he may have to do something that is really kind of against his, his general nature and programming, but it is for sort of the greater good, and Data will not hesitate to do that if he has to. Your first watch at Ops? I have served at the position before. I've been concerned about you. About me? Why? Because I know how I'd feel if I was asked to replace Data at his station. Bridge. Promotion due to the death of a crewmate is commonplace on Klingon ships. I know, but this isn't the Klingon ship. And Data was your friend. And it's the second time you've replaced a crewmate who's died. I honor Data's memory, as I did Lieutenant Yars, by attempting to perform their duties as well as they did. In true Klingon fashion. I appreciate your concern. 
Yeah, so back on the Enterprise, you know, they have recommended, you know, they need somebody else at Ops, and Worf is going to take over that spot. He used to he used to be at Ops early in the uh, uh, series, early in the Next Generation. You know, he and uh, Crusher were there, and uh, you know, the, going back there, here Worf went to security when Yar Tasha Yar died. Now he's going to go back to Ops when when Data seems like he has died. And, and Worf, that, that kind of probably gives you a little bit of a complex. And, and Deanna, you know, Troy is trying to, you know, kind of feel him out and see what's going on in his head. And, you know, he's a Klingon. And uh, I, I like that little bit there. And, and like he said, uh, on a Klingon vessel, you know, when, when warrior Klingon warriors or Klingon crewmen die, it's, it's pretty common for that to happen and, and, you know, for you to sort of go up and rank, kind of like the mirror universe through uh, attrition, through people just sort of kicking off. and But Starfleet, that, you know, except for the red shirts, I guess, <laughs> you know, Starfleet, that doesn't really happen in as much. And, and to be moved around every time when somebody kicks off on, on the Enterprise is, is, is a little bit difficult to deal with, probably, for even Worf. A couple other uh, bits of trivia and, and commentary about this episode. You know, the, the shuttle, I forgot to say at the beginning, that shuttle uh, pod that uh, Data is using is named Pike after, of course, Christopher Pike, the, uh, uh, you know, really technically, depending on Star Trek lore and history, the second captain of the Enterprise, uh, at least in the Enterprise Prime universe. Boy, this is going to get confusing now after a while, isn't it? <laughs> uh I guess in the not-prime universe, uh, Pike was the first captain of the Enterprise. Uh, there was a Captain April that was referenced in an, an animated episode that was sort of in the prime universe, the first captain of the Enterprise. Oh, and um, what else uh, that they talk about? There are a lot of props in this uh, episode that are were later auctioned off uh, through those uh, different Star Trek auctions that they have had. Those Varian T disruptors that we see later in the episode – those were auctioned off. Looks like I'm reading here. One went for fifteen hundred dollars. One went another one for uh, in another auction. The other couple went for four hundred and three hundred seventy-five. Gosh, I might even have sprung for that price for one of them. Uh, what else? The the little model for the Jovis, which is Fajo's ship, went uh, sold in that forty years of Star Trek collection from uh, the uh, Christie's auction. I think from several years back. It uh, ultimately sold for uh, around five thousand forty eight hundred. It looks like. And uh, what else we've got? Uh, the 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 book that you see in this that that Picard had given to Data, and eventually they give back to Picard because they think Data's died, is is a collection of Shakespeare's dramas. Uh, and the phrase that uh, Picard reads in the episode, I don't think I captured a clip of that, was from Hamlet, uh, Act One, Scene Two. And he says, he was a man, take him for all in all. I shall not look upon his like again. Of course, that's very appropriate for this episode. And it happens to be the part of the book that's bookmarked for Picard to read that. And it sort of references Data being gone. Oh, the, the title of this episode, too, that I, I wanted to say something about. It, it's it's usually uh, an, a, you know kind of a, a, a phrase that's been used for a long time to justify uh, a certain amount of greed, I guess, to varying levels. And and it's the episode's called The Most Toys, and there, there's a phrase, a common quote that's being that's used that says, he who dies with the most toys wins is, is kind of the quote that this is from. So, you know, there's this sort of, you don't see it that much. There's one other collector that shows up 
played by, uh, I don't know how you say this actor's name. He's done other character roles. I think even in Trek, I'm trying to recall, I think he might even have been sometime in the original series. I'm blanking a little on when. But Nehemiah Persoff is his name? Nehemiah? Nehemiah? Oh, gosh. That's terrible. I'm terrible at that. But anyway, um, he's in this episode. He's another collector that Faja is sort of competing with. You know, it's like, hey, look at me. I've got an Android now. You don't. And I've got, you know, all this stuff. Although Data, when uh, when Fajo brings that guy in, Data won't say anything. He's just sort of standing there like a mannequin, which I, I love that scene. He doesn't blink. He doesn't move. And, and he just isn't cooperating at all with what Fajo wants. And Fajo's like a little kid. He kind of reminds me a little bit of... Uh, Trelane from the Squire of Gothos, that uh, Trelane's kind of been looking at Earth. He set himself up in this little motif of, of Earth artifacts and things. Even though he has all this power, he, he envies Earth and things there. And Fajo collects items from, not, well, not just Earth. He's got a baseball card, and, and he's got the Mona Lisa, and he's got a um, another painting, uh, Salvador Dali, I think. But he, he also has artifacts and, and a little creature from another world and things from around the galaxy, not just from Earth. So let's play a uh, another clip. Tears a body apart inside out and does it very slowly, too, by your phaser standards. It's tortuous, very, very painful death. I've always wanted to try this. It is doubtful you will destroy me since you assign so much value to possessing me. That goes without saying. Please come in. Varya. <laughs> How long have we been together, my dear? Uh, 14 years. For 14, 14 wonderful years they were, too. She was barely an adult when I found her. She was idealistic, naive, full of dreams. And I made those dreams come true, too, didn't I? I'm going to miss you. Fajo. <laughs> yeah, that clip, that's classic, uh, you know, sort of situation when you have someone who won't want to do anything and you're, you've got them like as a hostage and you've got other people around or whatever you... You threaten them. Fajo uh, threatens Varya, this woman that works with him. Not she doesn't ever seem to be that much of a prisoner, but you find out later just how little he, you know, little regard he has for her, even though she's been with him for a long time. But Fajo threatens her with this, you know, disruptor that will kill her basically, and Data basically, you know, has to go along with with him at that point. I don't think Data would do it if he was just directly threatened. He he would. Fajo never really does that that you know situation he doesn't do the usual like uh you would see in a movie or a tv show where a guy with a gun would be sh you know pointing it at someone and say hey do this or i'll shoot you i think fajo realizes that data would would not respond the right way to that that he would just say well go ahead if you shoot me i think there is a scene where he says something like that but if you shoot me and kill me or destroy me you you got you have nothing his he, he isn't just there to want Data to do something for him. He wants Data to be cooperative and be part of his collection. So he can't really threaten Data directly, but he can threaten other people around him, and that's how he eventually Data has to succumb and sit in the little chair and all that and be a, be a good little android for a little while. 
He wouldn't make a profit on it. Quite the contrary. Then why would he do it? What did he want? Computer, biographical file on trader Kivas Fajo. Accessing file Kivas Fajo, a Zabalian trader of the Stasius Trade Guild, educated on Iratan Five, a noted collector of rare and valuable objects, including the Rajak Crystal, the Starry Night by Vincent van Gogh, the Lawman Galactopedia, the Mali Amanda Tapestry. Computer, that is sufficient. Rare and valuable object. What if data wasn't on that shuttle? Mr. Crusher. Aye, sir. Set course for the site of the shuttle pod explosion. Warp 8. Aye, sir. So now you get to the point where the Enterprise crew has discovered this deception. Uh, Jordy actually picks up on it that there's a little bit of a, a line. Data was shuttling this material back and forth to the Enterprise, and he would say something about clearing their docking bay on each trip. And on the last trip where his shuttle blew up or appeared to blow up with him inside, Data did not uh, respond. He doesn't say that bit about clearing the shuttle bay. And Jordy kind of realizes that after going over all the records and the tapes over and over. You know, he, and, and Data is all about consistency. If there's one thing you can count on for for Data, you know, being an android and being uh you know, the way he is, is he's all about rules, regulations, protocol, and consistency. You know, anyone else might sometimes say certain things and, and have different phrases and different wording for, for different situations, but not data. Data won't do that. His programming A to B to C is just the way he works. Uh, and that is eventually one of the clues that, that Jordy learns that something is a little off. And then they discover this planet that they're trying to, to fix it's it's been sort of kind of uh, tainted with this material this they call it tricyanide i think which is kind of funny to me as a chemist but uh they've they've contaminated this planet and it's it's sort of been done on purpose and the whole thing was one big setup on fajo's um part to get data you know he did this so that then then he would they would need this material that only he has and would allow them to use or to get data. I'm not really sure why he necessarily realized that data would be the one doing the shuttling of the material back and forth. One thing, you know, when you look at that situation, you kind of think that's a little odd. You know, here you got a very senior officer, and they basically use him to shuttle, uh, you know, cargo back and forth from another ship. And now, granted, data is a you know, uh, an excellent pilot, and they may be, and I don't think I missed it, I, but I don't think this material was supposed to be, you know, at all dangerous to humans at all. all I, if they said that, I missed it, and I don't think that was the case. Maybe that was a reason why they would use data, but the idea, you know, Fajo goes through this elaborate uh, situation and plan to get data, and what if they had just, you know, they have a thousand, you know, people in the Enterprise, what if they had just picked crewmen, you know, crewman joseph or whatever to to do the shuttling of the material i guess that would have destroyed his whole plan and it would have pretty much not not been an episode then at that point but those are the little things you always have to sort of just sort of swallow when you're watching an episode of you know not just trek but any series that it's the main characters that always have the things going on with them that's why i always like you know some of those episodes on on trek and other shows where you get to see some of the the other people like lower decks and, and and realize things happen with these guys too you know it's not just the senior officers that stuff goes on with so i that's just a little aside uh, that i thought i would bring up 
the next clip here this one's a pretty long one but i think it's you know the most important clip of of the show and what goes on this is the final try to escape uh, with varia trying to help data get away because she realizes fajo is pretty much a loony and uh she's she you know was threatened by him at one point to kill him and she's kind of yeah, maybe it would be better to get out of here. And so she helps Data try to escape, of course. Fajo kills her, and that's where this clip starts out. And you then realize and, and see this confrontation and see this uh, thought process going on with Data and realizing he's got no choice with uh, with how to deal with this with this guy. And it, it's interesting that they, uh, with the way they play this and the beam out at the end. But anyway, here's this clip. It's a little longer than the others, but but a good one. So listen to this. your fault you knew the price for disobedience and so did she well there's always another barrier You won't hurt me. Fundamental respect for all living beings. That's what you said. I'm a living being. Therefore, you can't harm me. You will surrender yourself to the authorities. Or what? You'll fire? Empty threat, we both know it. Why don't you accept your fate? You will return to your chair and you will sit there. You will entertain me, and you will entertain my guests. And if you don't, I'll simply kill someone else. Him, perhaps. Doesn't matter. Their blood will be on your hands, too. Just like poor Varius. Your only alternative data is to fire. Murder me. That's all you have to do. Go ahead. Fire. If only you could feel rage over Varia's death. If only you could feel a need for revenge, then maybe you could fire. But you're just an android. You can't feel anything, can you? It's just another interesting intellectual puzzle for you. Another of life's curiosities. Fire. You can't fire me. No. I'm reading a weapon in transit with Commander Data. It seems to have discharged, sir. Discharged? I'm deactivating it. Welcome back, Mr. Data. You all right? Yes, Commander. Please arrange to have Kivas Fajo taken into custody on charges of murder, kidnapping, theft. The arrangements have already been made. A Veron T disruptor. It belongs to Fajo. 
Mr. O'Brien says the weapon was in a state of discharge. Perhaps something occurred during transport, Commander. Yeah, so Data was basically ready and and did you know just just you know he 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 did pull the trigger. He was going to kill Fajo, and uh, they beamed him out just at the last possible moment there before the disruptor could uh, could kill him. And uh, it's it's a real interesting thing. And uh, in a way, I you know when I watch this again and when I've seen it over the years and watched it even the first time, I kind of wonder you know if what they would have thought about letting it play out. Like in other words if the disruptor had just gone off and he did kill Fajo and and that data basically had to live with what he had done even realizing you know seconds later the enterprise was there and beamed about that might have been a little more powerful in a way and a little interesting to to have that situation and what was going on than the way they played this and they, I, I think they sort of softballed it in a way maybe but I also kind of understand why they did it that way a little bit too so i'm a little bit mixed i i think it would have been very interesting if they would have let it happen and let data kill fajo and see what really that would have meant for him as a character and dealing with that situation even though he's emotionless you know he says that all the time but we know kind of a little differently and we know that he slowly is sort of gaining certain things and and eventually of course in the movies and, and later on he sort of gains his emotion ship and all that but uh it's kind of a mixed bag of which way to go and play that, uh, but uh, I think it's interesting. And then there's one last clip here from the episode, and this is just sort of the final um, little tale uh, confrontation discussion as the roles are reversed, and this time Fajo's in the cell and in the cage, and Data's on the outside looking in. Oh, you come to see me repent? It's your final satisfaction? Want to see me beg for mercy? You're not going to get any of that from me. I expected nothing. Our roles are reversed. <laughs> Aren't they, David? You're the collector now. Me, I'm, I'm in a cage. So it seems. Just don't count me out too quickly. I had you in my collection once. I can have you there again. Unlikely, sir. <laughs> your collection has been confiscated. All of your stolen possessions are being returned to their rightful owners. You have lost everything you value. It must give you great pleasure. No, sir. It does not. I do not feel pleasure. I am only an android. So there you have it, the most toys. A uh, really a, a great episode from uh, from the third season when they, when it, TNG just really started to get rolling and, and well into you know some of the great episodes. I liked a few other points that I didn't bring up yet. I like their mentioning uh, Tasha Yar, Lieutenant Yar. I like the scene where um, 
Crusher, uh, Will, and uh, their um, uh, would when excuse me, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> you know, there's no one else in this house but me. No, when uh, when Jordy and uh, Crusher are going through his things in his quarters and Data's quarters, and they find that little uh, holographic display of, of Tasha Yar there in the book and his medals and all that. Some really nice moments in this episode. And uh, and then, of course, the, the deal with, with Fajo and, and Data and their relationship and confrontation and Data not giving in. It's uh, it's really cool. Uh, it's it's really well done and uh, really well uh, just written episode and, and well acted. There was a deleted scene for this episode that uh, Faja was uh, sending Varya in to test Data's sexual abilities, referencing a little bit about you know the episode of the Naked Now with Tasha and and that. Uh, but Data, uh, in that uh, deleted scene, he learns about Fajo's intent, and uh, he basically uh, leaves Varya kind of humiliated, and that also sort of helps Varya, you know, betray Fajo near the end, besides the fact he was ready to kill her, too. that That's a little, you know, just a little aside there. Um, the uh, the baseball card was a real card, I think, that they used in the, his collection, too. Uh, that 62 Roger Maris baseball card was the first in uh, a top series of uh, 598 cards on that uh, in that year in 1962. Uh, Maris was there because he had bested Babe Ruth's uh, single season home run record by one uh, the previous year with 61 homers. I'm reading that off the Memory Alpha dot org uh wikipedia i don't have all these little facts at my fingertips i really don't <laughs> but it's a great episode and uh with that i want to play some uh, listener comments about this first up is a uh, mike uh from england or feathers from the forum and his comments about uh, the most toys rico everybody tricks in sci-fi land hello mike from london feathers on the forum i just thought i ought to get a comment in for the first of what I'm going to be calling the Rockford Files, those episodes of, of Treks in Sci-Fi from a far-off land. Actually, I was very tempted to launch into this with a the theme tune from the Rockford Files, if anybody's old enough to remember that. Can't say I ever watched it. It must have been on at home on BBC or something when I was a kid. But uh, I thought it was funny, but I don't think I'm going to bother doing it now. So, the most toys... Um, remember this really only for, for one or two reasons. I saw it a few years ago, again, as, as we were rerunning through Trek on television over here. Uh, one of the reasons I remember it's probably Warehouse 13 related, because if I'm right, it was Saul Rubinek who played the collector in this episode. And obviously he's now doing well in sort of sci-fi fantasy land with Warehouse 13 and his role in that. But the other reason it stands out was because it's a, quite a significant step on... Well, really, you know, the overarching story of, of the humanisation of data. Uh, you will have run through the entirety of the story by the time uh, this gets played, so I'm, I'm going to resist trying to do that. But I have to say, before I saw this, I would have said that you couldn't really psychologically pressure an android. It seems a very unlikely thing, but clearly that's possible, as, as this episode demonstrates, or at least it's possible in the world of Trek. But let's take all that as read. But it isn't so much in the succumbing to psychological pressure as in the very ending of the scene, as, as where Data's sort of next step in the humanification process comes. 
clearly we, we see at the end as he's been aboard the Enterprise the, the rather nasty weapon he's holding has been discharged and the inference there is that, that he fired it while gripped by the transporter beam and they never go into whether he really did or not so we, we've no way of knowing whether that was the case. The fact that he was within the beam presumably stopped the weapon actually firing and, and killing the guy on the other end with, with the beam neutralising, well, maybe absorbing the energy, I don't know. Interestingly, that goes against a different episode where Riker was up for a murder investigation and one of the theories was that he had fired his phaser from within a transporter beam and killed the, the professor guy whose wife he'd supposed to have had an affair with. So those two don't quite gel. If you believe the Riker episode then had Data fired the weapon, it would have fired through the beam and killed the collector, but forgive him on that one. I mean, the other thing you, you think is the transporter system would probably neutralise the weapon as well, because they seem to do that as they, they beam other, other races and, and other weapons aboard. But as I say, it's an interesting Data step, and really left hanging for the viewer to decide what it is, which I, I guess is a smart move. They could have gone into it in the show, but it would have taken him down a very dark route, I suspect, which is, is something that Star Trek really didn't do at that stage. It was only really that the later seasons of, of DS9 started them down that route. But a good episode, not space battles and, and exciting shooting things, if you're into that sort of thing, but a much more thought-provoking one, particularly on the data front. So that's all I've got to say on that one. Uh, before I go, I'll, I'll just say if anybody has any comments on... Uh, just to, to cut across your episode, comments on the Voyager episode Lifeline. I've got a Treks in Sci-Fi, oddly enough, a podcast on that coming out on the 14th of February, so if you want to email me an audio file for that, it would be appreciated. I can drop it in somewhere, so mikefstone at gmail.com for those, if you please. Other than that, all I've got to say is I uh, hope you're uh, enjoying your, your first weekend in your, your house in Rockford, Rico. I think it needs a bit more furniture from what I can see of the... Uh, the pictures I've seen, but uh, I'll leave that one for you to sort out. Have a good week. Cooking chemicals next week. Thanks for persevering with the podcast, despite all the, the relocation hassles and all of that. And I look forward to listening to this one when it comes out. Cheers. Well, thanks very much, Mike. Uh, very uh, interesting comments, and uh, it, it does bring a lot of things to to think about this episode. The whole, you know, the the basically the, the situation of like I just recently talked about and you com commented as well about the firing of the weapon in the transporter. I still, uh, I always from the beginning and for, from first seeing this episode always concluded that it wasn't like the transporter beam grabbing data, you know, made him twitch or something and, and trigger the weapon or that the, the, the beam itself triggered the weapon or anything like that. I, I always have maintained that the the beam caught data just the split second that he pulled he had pulled the trigger and that the transporter was basically the only thing that saved Fajo's life or else he would have been dead like i just have talked about though i kind of had hoped and, and wished maybe that they would have let him kill him and that just seconds later but of course like you uh, pointed out very correctly mike they didn't really do that kind of stuff here. That would have been a, definitely a Deep Space Nine type of thing to do, where, you know, like Odo might have done it or something like that and killed somebody even realizing, you know, just seconds later he really didn't have to do it. But, uh, you know, I can understand the way they, the reason and the way they played it here for TNG made a lot of sense for them. But I, I've always thought and and really considered that this episode, that Data really did fire it. It wasn't a, a cause of the beam itself, uh, beaming him out or anything. And, and that thing about the Riker episode, my my take on that a little bit would be, 
that maybe it's just because you have different types of weapons here you're dealing with and different effects the transporter has on them or whatever it is. I don't know, but you can come up with a lot of techno babble to explain that kind of stuff away. But uh, yeah, it's a great uh, thing to think about. And uh, I, again, think this episode did a good job with it. And next up, we have Rick Moyer. He, he uh, has said, and I'm sure he'll say in his comments here, that this is like his favorite uh, Next Generation episode. So I'm sure we're going to have some good things to hear from him about it and a new song, which I know you guys are all going to love. So here's Rick's comments and his song about the most toys. Hey, Rico, this is Rick Moyer from Aberdeen, Moyer777 on the forums and the host of Taking With You podcast. I just wanted to uh, let you know that this is, and I always say one of my favorites when I when you're going to uh, do the TNG, you know, uh, review. But this one really is my all-time favorite Star Trek episode, besides Mirror Mirror from the uh, from the the original series on TNG. For some reason, the most toys is my very favorite episode, and I I, I don't know why. Probably because I really like data centric, you know, shows. And it was just so scary to have him blow up and then think, what in the world? Then the whole awesome scenario of a guy collecting these just, you know, uh, rare things in the universe and him collecting data and thinking he could get away with it. I just knew it wasn't going to work out, you know, when I watched it the first time. Uh, but I really liked the way that uh, there, there was interaction. Really liked it when they opened up the card, you know, of the the baseball card, and you could still smell the bubble gum and just all the different things that uh, Kivas Fajo had in his uh, his little gallery of cool things. And then, of course, he added had added data to it. I liked that little cool force field that uh, Kivas had around him, so that data couldn't touch him. Um, I really liked the Varenti disruptor, even though it was a really cruel and wicked weapon. It was wild when they would shoot somebody with it, and you'd see them uh, just you know, disintegrate right in front of you. Scary stuff. Uh, but a, just a really cool episode. And, of course, the biggest part of the episode that I loved was the part where Data has to decide. Does he, does he go against his programming and rid the universe of this horrid, wicked man, or does he stick with his programming? We will never know, will we? What's the mystery? Well, kind of. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to yak about it anymore. I'm, I wrote a song or, or did a parody song uh, from <laughs> the Cars, and I guess you're just what I needed. I did uh, I did that one where Riker says, "Well, I'm, it's just really lucky that we, you know, we had some. You had enough of the hytridium when we needed it, so I called it um, just what we needed." And uh, I hope you enjoy it. Thanks, Rico, again for uh, doing all the awesome stuff you do on Treks and Sci-Fi. Uh, this is Rick Moyer. I hope you enjoy the song, Just What We Needed. Data to Enterprise. Go ahead, Mr. Data. This will be the last trip, sir. The remaining pieces of hydridium are now being loaded. Acknowledged. Mr. Wolf, advise Beta Agni to put our departure is imminent. I shall. The Enterprise is coming here. There's not a lot of time. Tricyanide is causing fear It's a thought in our minds We're glad you have Hytridium It's volatile and rare And I don't mind you coming here You got here just in time Loading is complete I am now proceeding with departure Enterprise Shuttle Bay 2, prepare for docking Level 1 precautions for incoming material remain in effect. If you'll just acknowledge this last vote, man. 
And I don't mind your subtle crap The cargo data gets But on the final checking back It appears he blows to bits Yeah We can't believe our eyes just now Our sensor readings on just how The mystery just keeps us here Puzzles just in time. I guess you have what we need. I need it. I need it. I guess you have what we need. I need it. And just enough for us too. Well, the only source I know is in the Sigma Aronis system. Three weeks away. And I can't guarantee they'll have it for obvious reasons. No one wants to keep it around. In fact. And I didn't stop selling it. It's, it's just too dangerous. I guess we're fortunate you had any at all, sir. You kidnap data with no tact. In the chair you want is pose, pose. Surrounded by the artifacts. Scent of garments in his nose, yeah. It's not the clothes he wants to wear. It's Varia that starts to care. Fundamental respect for all living beings. I'm a living being. Therefore, you can't harm me. You will surrender yourself to the authorities. Or what? Or fire? The weapon was in a state of discharge. Perhaps something occurred during transport, Commander. Oh, that's great stuff, Rick. As always, uh, yeah, your comments about the episode and, and the song set to the cars—it's just fantastic stuff. One of one of uh, a really great song i think just because i really am a big cars fan too and great uh, great stuff as always and uh, i'm so glad that i finally got to cover your favorite tng episode the most toys so thanks so much for that and everything that you help and do for the show and thanks everyone else for your comments and, and work this week I, i've got a lot of good entries uh mike and vartok and jeff Vartok, I'm going to play your segment, your answer segment, to the poser way back from the beginning of this show about uh, Starship Troopers 3. So here's the rest of Vartok's uh, segment, and I'll be right back, and we'll be wrapping up this week's edition of the podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Vartok again with the answer to the question posed earlier, which was, 
Despite being an obvious action movie with tons of military overtones, what seems to be out of place in this movie, Starship Troopers 3, Marauder? Well, for me, about halfway through the movie, there started to be lots of unexpected religious overtones. Now, Heinlein, in his story, emphasized the need for social responsibility that requires individual sacrifice. His federation is a limited democracy based on meritocracy. That is, you only get to be a first-class citizen if you serve at least two years in the military. This is in contrast to the democracies of our 20th century, which collapsed because people had been led to believe that you could simply vote for whatever you wanted and get it without toil, without sweat, without tears. In Edward Neumeyer's Starship Troopers, the message seems to be one about satire of our current society, where a few people in control can dictate war policy, where prisoners can be held and punished without trial, where recruiting advertisements glorifying war can play on our media. For the first half of the movie, there are very few religious references. Indeed, religion is not really allowed in Rico's society. So I have concluded that the satire is being extended to religion as well perhaps in the vein of the Crusades in our past history. Is it okay for man to pray to God to destroy your enemy? Is my religion better than your religion? Across the Federation, federal experts agree that A, God exists after all, B, he's on our side, and C, he wants us to win. And there's even more good news, believers, because it's official. God's back. And he's a citizen, too. Bowing to a rising popularity all across the Federation, Sky Marshal Fid declares that while religion is acceptable, peace is not. Starship Troopers 3, Marauder, is rated R for violence and nudity. Just like in the first movie, there is some gratuitous nudity, with male and female soldiers stripping down, and there's certainly lots of gore. Good for mom and dad, but a bit too much for the young ones. Well, that's it for this movie and sci-fi review segment. And now back to you, Rico. Thanks again, Vartok, for that segment. And really interesting uh, comments about Starship Troopers 3, uh, Marauder. Uh, it's, uh, like I said, a fun movie I found it to be and, and worth, uh, a, worth a rent for those uh, out there who may have been avoiding it. I never actually saw Starship Troopers 2. I heard so many terrible things, even though I, I think I actually have, have it at home to watch. Uh, but I, I just have been a little scared to try it. So anyway, thanks everyone again so much for your comments. If anyone ever has a comment about a book, a TV show, or a movie, or something Trek-related, or, or anything geeky, you know, maybe a new review of a of a piece of, uh, you know, a little cool new piece of hardware that you just got that you want to talk about a netbook or a, or some kind of MP3 player or a new cool phone that you got or or in a, in a month or two, whenever they come out, those new iPads, of course, that uh, have Brian on the forums just uh, beating the Apple drum. <laughs> Brian, give it a rest, really. I know it's, it looks like a cool device, but really, take it easy, okay, man? You know, I, I know it's going to sell a lot. You really, you don't have to, you know... <laughs> I'm just I kid I kid I'll probably get one myself who knows someday but I'm not buying one right away you know Apple I gotta hand it to them I mean they do some great stuff some great products but and this is a big but for me anymore because I, I'm tired of being the guinea pig the beta tester and so forth I've done it for years with hardware 
kind of done okay, kind of gotten bitten a few times and all that. But I know in a year or so after those iPads come out, and yeah, that is kind of a funky name, isn't it? But I know Apple's done that before, and people thought pretty strange things of some of their other choices for names. Anyway, the uh, what I was going to say is is it's going to be cheaper and better and, and, and everything like that, just like the iPod, the iPhone, the, you know, the, the Macs, all, all, everything. And, and that's true with technology. And what you do is you, you pay the price of, okay, can I live without it for a year and, and not pay the extra cost, and, and maybe there'll be a bigger, better model and version of it you know, a few months or a year or so down the road. That, it's everybody has to make that decision for themselves. I have no real pressing need for that device right now, so it, it's not a big deal for me. But, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe I'll change my mind a few months when everybody's all saying, oh, this is so cool. I can, like, you know, move around and go places with my little pad and read books everywhere and watch videos. And, well, yeah, you can kind of do that with an iPhone or an i. Um, iPod Touch now too, although the screens aren't as big as, of course. But then you pay the the deal of, do you want to carry that bigger device around? And now we're turning into you know the tech podcaster or uh, some kind of geeky show like that, which we won't do. I, I promise. Even though I, for some reason I've cruised through this uh, week's edition of Treks and Sci-Fi pretty quickly. Uh, and with that, we're going to wrap it up because I've got stuff I got to do today. I'm going to go get a. Uh, I got to go get a new bed. I've been sleeping on this air mattress, but I have, uh, I'm going to get a U-Haul truck here in a little while and go pick up this uh, queen-size mattress set that my uh, relatives in the area have found for me and, and drag it back here to the house. So Rico gets to sleep on a real bed tonight. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm excited by that, let me tell you, after a week on this air mattress. Although it's, it's one of these uh, like really nice air mattresses that has the built-in air pump. You plug it into the wall. But it's still not real comfortable. I mean, it's okay. Uh, I'm kind of tall, so it's not a perfect good fit for me. So I, I'm looking forward to having a normal bed to sleep on tonight. So I've got to do that and quite a few other things here on this Sunday in Rockford, Illinois. So with that, next week's show will be covering—I'm going to cover next week uh, a little different subject. I'm going to talk about uh, short-lived uh, sci-fi series, things that lasted like a— Basically, my criteria is going to be they lasted one season uh, or even less. Uh, and uh, I've covered some of these shows before, I think, but uh, I thought it would be fun. There, there's a ton of them out there. Fox is kind of notorious for doing this. And if you've got any comments about maybe a show that you think was cut short and, and, and gone before it really had a chance to to make a mark and, and you know do do okay in the you know the the airwaves and everything like that, you know, send me a comment at treksf at gmail.com. And uh, so that will be next week's podcast. And like Mike uh, had mentioned, and you can send him comments about his guest cast, which is uh, going to be about the Voyager episode Lifeline, which is coming up in two weeks on Treks and Sci-Fi. So with that, I'm out of here. Got to edit this, grab a little lunch, and then off to the U-Haul place. So everyone take care. Have a good week, and I will be back next time uh, with more Treks and Sci-Fi next week. Again from, well, probably from Rockford, although I might go home next weekend. I haven't really decided yet. Who knows where I will be? Anyway, everyone, take care. Have a great time uh, this week. Stay warm if it's cold where you're at, and uh, I hope it isn't too bad. And uh, well, just have fun. Bye-bye, everyone. You have been listening to Rico of Borg. Tune in next week for another subspace transmission of Trex in Sci-Fi. Resistance is futile.